Good morning. I uh, keep enjoying hearing these uh, stories about what people in the church love about Jesus. That's what we're spending our early weeks uh, together thinking about. Uh, so, so grateful to hear that. DJ, thank you for leading us in the prayer uh, for people in Afghanistan. Um, the, the plight of refugees is a, is a personal topic for me. I have um, I've spent time with refugees. I have been um, in refugee camps on the border of uh, Jordan and Syria. I have seen uh, horrific damage and scars on people's bodies from, uh, from war. Uh, I've picked up Afghan refugees from the airport when they first arrive in our country uh, to, uh, to start a new life here, fleeing the Taliban. So I uh, just have a little bit of life experience connected with that topic, and so particularly grieve it and just ask your continued prayers uh, for the people of Afghanistan. Uh, if you're looking for things you can do, uh, you could do worse than supporting World Relief. Uh, World Relief is a Christian organization that empowers churches to love refugees, and I've worked with them in the past. They, uh, they are currently uh, working in Sacramento and Modesto, and they, they work to uh, settle Afghan refugees in those two uh, locations, so... Let's keep praying for them. Today, our study is uh, celebrating Jesus' love for enemies and that hard teaching for us to do the same. I think it's a, a fruitful study. It's, it's certainly one of the reasons I love Jesus. I'm so impressed with Jesus, and I hope you will be too. I want to start by asking, how many parents do we have in the room today? Raise your hand if you've ever participated in the raising of children. All right, a lot of you. Okay, the second survey, how many people in the room have ever been a child? Okay, okay, great, great. So you are well equipped uh, to, uh, to follow me in the illustration that I'm about to describe. Uh, I want to uh, explain the experience of being a dad trying to investigate a sibling accusation, Okay. A dad opening an investigation on a sibling accusation. It basically, it begins something like this. You hear someone scream, Dad, she broke my toy. And then you hear your wife advise you, I advise you to stay out of it and let them solve their own problems. But then as a dad, you don't listen and you get involved. And so you begin to investigate and you ask your child, did you, did you break her toy? Yes. They answer, did you do it on purpose? Yes, they finally admit. Why did you break her toy? And the answer is something like, he broke my hairbrush. So then you broaden the investigation. You say, did you break her hairbrush? Yes. What? Did you do it on purpose? No, but eventually it's yes. And then it's like, why did you do that? Well, she hit me. Did you, did you hit him? Yes. Why? Because she poked me. Did you, did you poke her? Yeah, she, she said a mean thing. Why did you say a mean thing? He made a mean face. Why did you make a mean face? She laughed at me. Why would you laugh at him? He fell down, and it was hilarious. Right? It always, you just keep going back and back and back, Right? There's an endless cycle of escalating revenge, okay? 
And on every part of the investigation, every time, the kid always views their action, which caused some kind of harm, as self-defense, justice, necessary retaliation, right? If I don't strike back in some way, they will think they can get away with it, which I can allow at no cost, right? They must fear me, (laughs) you know, and that will be my defense, right? But the other person perceives that action as the aggression. It came out of nowhere. I was doing nothing. I was minding my own business. I was a perfect angel, and they attacked me. Therefore, I must strike back, right? And it just goes back and back and back and back. Both sides perceiving their own action as justice, as as necessary, as self-defense, and the other person's action as the aggression. Anybody ever seen this in in life? Okay, yeah, yeah, you you, you all admitted to being children at one time. But it doesn't just just, uh, stop with, with kids, does it? This, this is life. This is, it just keeps, it keeps going on. Uh, I remember one time when I was trying to teach my children, uh, and it was, this was so, several years ago, so my, my son Peter was maybe like seven or eight years old, and I, I'm trying to explain to him about why I want him to not, you know, not strike back, and I say, Peter, Jesus said that if someone was to strike you, they were to punch you in the face, he says, don't punch back. Turn your other cheek and say, oh, did you want to hit me here? <laughs> okay. And, uh, and Peter did not believe me that that was in the Bible. He was like, no way, dad. I'm like, I'm not, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to just make up a story from the Bible. I mean, and he's like, no, there's no way Jesus would say that. And I'm like, let's go ask your mom, right? So I'm like, come on. So we go off and over there to, to where mom is. And I'm like, mom, we're having a, can you please, uh, he's like, mom, did Jesus really say that if someone punches you, you're not supposed to punch him back? You're supposed to like show him the other cheek. And, and mom says, yeah, 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 Jesus actually said that. He's like, no way, I don't believe you. He doesn't believe mom, dad or mom. I'm like, oh my gosh. So then we had to go to a Bible and we opened up the Bible and we had him read the part, you know, someone was to strike you, uh, you know, turn your other cheek. And he's like, so finally, finally he acknowledges, he's like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. I cannot believe that's in the Bible, right? It's shocking. It's shocking. Now, some of us are used to, we've heard those words, but if you think about it, like what it actually means in life and, 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 and actually uh, putting that into practice, uh, it's, it's counter, so countercultural. It's so counter even our own human bodies, I, I, I don't know how many of you have ever had the experience of actually getting slapped in the face. Uh, I, I can remember this, not just, you know, as a kid, but I, I, remember, uh, I remember in high school, I, I, I pulled a prank on my best friend, okay? And I, and I, I won't tell you the prank because you'll think less of me, okay? <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll tell the youth someday. But uh, I pulled a prank that I didn't really mean to cause harm, but it was stupid and, it, you know, it, it, it did to my best friend. And he was so mad that he turned and he just whack slapped me across the face. And I got to tell you, the physical, it's a, it's a shock. Have you ever had that happen? It is so shocking. You, you, you just like, 
are like you're hope, you're sort of in in a in a stunned, right? And then you know what happens? Like our bodies are wired to have a fight or flight response, right? And and our, it's called the amygdala triggers, and you suddenly adrenaline, cortisol flood your body, and you you just get like you, muscles tense up, and you're you're like ready for a fight. And I I was just kind of in shock, and I remember. Uh, like thinking I, I'm supposed to hit back, right? And, and I actually had, we were like at a basketball game and, and my friends, like we're best friends in the middle of a crowd of basketball and, and, and my friends are like holding me back. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get you, right? It just, you're, it takes over your body. You're like, oh, I'm gonna, I feel like I have to hit back because you, you struck me. And of course I'm thinking it's totally uncalled for even though I had just done the prank. I mean, this, is, this kind of thing happens in life, right? But it's not just going to just speak to the moments where we actually get a literal physical strike to our face. This is going to apply much more broadly to all kinds of things which we would experience as a strike against us. Though the world would, would, would have us believe and, and just kind of our simplistic human thinking would have us think that if we are attacked in some way, whether it's a physical strike or, or a verbal strike or someone has, has assaulted us or struck us in some way, we get uh, trapped into thinking that the only two options for us are either to fight or to absolutely just submit and allow people to abuse. And Jesus actually has another way of thinking, uh, which is not totally passive, but it's not violent in its response, and it has the capacity to break the cycle that the world is always stuck in. We think about the same situation happening, not in just kind of interpersonal interactions, but think about international relations. Uh, my entire life, I have seen on the news, you know, periodically, basically the same story uh, of the conflict between Israeli forces and Palestinian forces. And it's basically the same story for decades on end. Rockets fly one way, airstrikes fly the other way. Both sides say, we were retaliating against a previous attack and we have to do this to defend ourselves. And it just keeps, it, it just keeps going on and on and on and on forever. It seems like this has happened in Afghanistan for decades and in all different manifestations, different people fighting different people, but just there's this always the cycles that never end. We can point to all different hotspots on the planet. We could look at gang warfare on our streets. We, we just look at there's always these cycles of revenge in the name of I have to stand up for myself. And Jesus looks out at a world in which everybody's always retaliating against everybody else. And people don't believe there's any way out of that cycle. And he says these words. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read two of what's called the antitheses. Uh, So we're going to read 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said... Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Two miles. 
Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect or be holy or be complete. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is so challenging. It is so difficult, but it's also inspiring and hopeful. We pray that we could hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So just this command that Jesus is speaking, love your enemies. He's, he's speaking against the traditional wisdom and belief at the time. You hear, hear him say, you have heard that it was said. He's quoting traditional wisdom. He's also quoting traditional interpretation of Old Testament. So it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Old Testament to say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It says, love your neighbor. And then people took the inference, oh, that must mean hate your enemy. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 right? Even the eye for eye, tooth for tooth was originally intended as a, as a limit. There's a limit to how much sort of revenge or justice is done in these different situations. Um, uh, instead of, you know, someone has taken your tooth, you don't kill them. And so there's this whole kind of justice tradition in the Old Testament. But Jesus is speaking into that, uh, not as a necessity, but speaking into it, what is the, uh, the ultimate intent of God in these broken, violent situations? And against the backdrop of traditional thinking, traditional interpretations of, of, of de- you know, demanding hate for enemy and demanding vengeance, Jesus says, love your enemy. Now, I imagine as you think about that, there might be just two different ways it might strike you. And so I want to just speak to that at the beginning. The first one is you might say, that's impossible. Maybe someone comes to your mind who you can say, that's an enemy. There's no way I can love them. Well, hang on. If that's you, hang on. Allow the words of Jesus to take root in you. I want to encourage you to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to soften your heart. A little later, we'll explore the message of, of how loving your enemies doesn't mean passive acceptance of abuse. So just hang in there a minute, but just, just hang on the words of Jesus. What might it mean for you to love that enemy? But I think others of you are having the opposite uh, interaction with those words, and you're thinking, well, I don't have any enemies. Anybody read that, and you're like, well, I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? Because... I don't think of anyone as my enemy. So in order for us to see how these words um, uh, will apply to our lives, I want to take us to an exercise which might be slightly unpleasant. I want to call to your mind enemies, okay? Uh, I want you to be able to think. When you think about these words, don't think, oh, they don't apply to me because I'm enemy-less. We want to see the expansive meaning of that. Enemy 
is meant to be the hardest person for you to love. They're at the other end of a spectrum from you. I would like you to imagine, and this would be a, this would be a horrible exercise you would never want to do in real life, but just, just imagine for a second that you were to line up everyone you know, everybody in your life in a line uh, in, in order of your preference, <laughs> okay? So over here, the, the person that you put on over here, that's gonna be the person you like the most, okay? That's like, the, that's where you put your children while they're sleeping, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Uh, and your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, you know, uh, on, a, on a good day, and uh, your mother maybe. Uh, but, but then you keep, you keep, you know, you keep lining them up as they get, well, you know, this, these people over here, they're my friends at work, and, you know, they really make me mad sometimes, but I, most of the time I love them, right? And you would just keep, imagine you just keep lining them up, and you line up every single person, like everybody that's say, a friend on Facebook, uh, including the people you've defriended already, right? Um, uh, everybody, you know, friends from high school, friends from work, your neighbors, you just line them all up. Uh, if you were to rank them all in how much you like them, it's, somebody's over here, <laughs> okay? Who's, who's over here? You all, I mean, if you were to do that, everybody would have somebody on this side of the line and you'd be like, oh, Oh, Jesus, don't, please don't talk to me about that person, Jesus. I just would like, I mean, I, they're not my enemy, but I really don't want to love them. Okay, that's who we're talking about. Whoever you put on this side of the line, like that's who you're, we're talking about. And Jesus is saying, your enemy, love your enemy. Well, that, that it doesn't just mean love these five people on this side, disregard all of these people, and just only love that one, he obviously means to include the entire spectrum. Everybody from there all the way through this line, we're going to be called to love. Now, the word, the Greek word for enemy is ekthros. Uh, it comes from the verb like to hate. Uh, and so this would be like a noun form. So you could think of it as someone you hate, but I think if you think of it just in terms of that, you might excuse yourself. Oh, I hate no one. I have no enemy. Um, but it's also hateful, someone who's hateful towards you. Someone who has shown you disrespect. Someone who has slighted you in some way. Someone who has gossiped about you and slandered you. Someone who passed you over for a promotion. Someone who didn't pick you for their team. It could be somebody who doesn't like you for, for something you have no control over. They don't like you because of the color of your hair, the, the, the color of your skin, the way you talk, uh, the, the food you eat. I mean, who knows? The people have all kinds of idiotic reasons for hating other people. And it can have nothing to do with us. But for some reason, they just pick us to not like. And probably we've all had the experience of being mistreated by somebody and then in our minds, we think, how could I get back at them, right? Is there some way, if I had that time where they said that mean thing about me, if I had another chance at that, what would I, what would I say? What would I, what would I do, you know? Like, you, you, we play these things in our minds. That's, that's the enemy. That's who we're talking about. I'll tell you, uh, a time this happened for me. Um, when I was in seminary living in uh, at Fuller down in Pasadena, um, I had... A, a car, my, my, I had a Toyota Corolla uh, that, uh, that was on a street and somebody was doing a terrible job parallel parking where they pulled front-wise instead of backwards in and they smashed up the front of my car. 
They left a note and they paid for the damage for it to be repaired. But we had to go through the shop and the whole process of getting the car repaired. Okay. Then it was parked in a parking lot a week after it was repaired and a food service truck uh, just crashed over the exact part I just got repaired and they took off. But then they, had, they felt remorse. They came back. They left a note. They paid for the damage and we got that car repaired. The same spot. And I kid you not, I am not exaggerating. Ask my wife. I am not exaggerating one bit. It was then parked on the street for one week. Okay? It's been repaired twice in the last month. It's on the street. I'm walking home from school, and I'm holding kind of water bottle in my hand, walking, and I see a guy do the stupid thing where, you, where, you're, where you're parallel parking from the front, and he's coming really fast, and he crashes in for a third time to the same spot on my car, totally wrecks it, knocks the bumper off, and I'm like, you gotta be, I'm like, I'm stunned, right? And I yell, that's my car. He looks up at me, does not leave a note, does not pause. He takes off. He just like skids, he just, his wheels fly, he just takes off and around the corner, I don't get the license plate. So two people, I mean, it's a crazy story. And the third time, I get stuck having to pay the bill. I just watch the guy wreck in front of my car and take off right in front of me, right? And I was like, ah, and then it's, it's gone, it's done. And then I have to like pay like all this money to get this car fit. I'm so furious, right? So then what happens in me for about two months after that is this moment would play back in my mind, the image of like this person doing a wrong thing to me, like crashing into my car. And I'm like, I'm imagining what could I have done? Should I have run out in the street and stopped him? No, he might have run me over. Should I, you know, whip out, get a picture of the, no, no, the thing that was in my mind. Remember I said I was, had a water bottle? This was my fantasy of revenge that I nursed. I had this vision of me taking the water bottle. See, the, the passenger window was open. I imagine myself with a water bottle just like making this perfect throw. And it spins in my dream. It's like, it's like this fantasy that I would play in my mind. It's like an action movie. It spins like this. It smacks him in the face, right? And then he's like, oh, and he crashes his car off. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, and I would, for two months, I'm like nursing this fantasy of this perfect throw, you know, and I'm like, yeah. But what am I nursing, right? Revenge against my enemy, justice at my hand, right? Who knows what he would have done <laughs> if he had jumped out? I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but we all at times have fantasies of getting revenge. I also want at this point to just offer this one clarification. We're gonna go into what Jesus speaks, but I just wanna offer this one clarification because one time I was speaking on, a, on this topic and about the need to forgive, and I had a, uh, a young woman come up to me after the, after the sermon and say, thank you, Pastor, so much for your message about you know, loving enemies and forgiving people who do wrongs to us. Um, my situation is that I just broke up with my abusive boyfriend that used to hurt me last week. I just broke up with him. But now I heard your message. I think I should forgive him and go back into that relationship. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. No, that's not at all what I'm trying to say, okay? When Jesus is talking about non-retaliation, he's not saying non-protection, He's not saying, let's keep subjecting ourselves. He's not saying, go find people that will hit you. He's not saying any of that. He's not saying you can't avoid uh, situations of harm. In no way is that what we are talking about. So I just want to say that right off the bat. What he is saying is, don't take violent revenge. He's not saying, don't do anything to protect yourself. 
In fact, the ways in which Jesus speaks about handling a wrong done to us are not uh, so passive, active, like submission, like choosing it. Uh, they're actually fairly active. So, for example, when he says, if someone was to strike you on your cheek, that we, we think the options are only, I'm going to punch back, or I'm just going to, like, submit and, and just allow myself. But he, he's actually, action is, is actually quite brave in which you're not cowering in fear, you're standing there. Oh, did you, did you, want, to, oh, did you want to strike me here? Here, can I help you out? Do you need to hit me? You know, there's, there's a, if anyone was to watch that happen, they would be stunned by our behavior. And they would clearly see that we've taken the moral high ground. We're not stooping to their level, but we're also not cowering in fear. We're, we're making a, a moral stand against, you know, showing something that they have done. The same thing with this, the, the suing. It's the idea that they're, they're going to sue you for some way, and you're assuming, you don't know if it's you know, right or wrong, but they're, they're suing you. They're trying to take the shirt off your back. That's like a lawsuit. They're trying to take the shirt off your own back. Uh, do, is our choice only that we're going like to sue them back and take their shirt, or to just, oh, yeah, they, you know, I'm now a victim of an unjust lawsuit. Uh, he's saying, actually, give them your coat as well. Right, you, This is a third way. This is a way of escaping uh, violence or victimhood. And now we can escape it with a third way, which is generosity. Oh, did you need a shirt? I'd be happy to give you my shirt. Here, I'm afraid you might be cold later. Let me give you my, my coat as well. Like, What else, other way can I meet your practical needs? Right? It's hard to steal from someone who's that generous. The next one he says, if someone was to force you to go one mile, go with them too. Now that one's the most confusing for us without any context, right? Like how many people have ever been forced to go a mile, right? It's, 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 that one's hard for us to understand. Well, the, the, the historical background of that one is that in, uh, it, uh, they were um, occupied by the Roman soldiers. Uh, and so that was an occupying force. And uh, there was a Roman law for an occupying force that a Roman soldier who had to carry a pretty heavy load of their equipment, their weapons, their armor, could, uh, to, could grab somebody. Much like uh, we have a tradition of a, of a police officer in need of a vehicle can say, hey, I need your vehicle. I, I'm chasing a criminal. It's, it's that kind of a, an idea. They can grab someone and say, hey, you, um, here, I need you to, to carry my armor for me. But the limit, so they were allowed to do that, but the limit was one mile. So it's, it was thought to be, it's going to be too much of a burden for the people that we occupy to make them carry it indefinitely. Uh, uh, they might fight us and resist that, but uh, you make them carry one mile, and then they get to put it down, they go back to their business, and then you, you make someone else do it for another mile. So you, every mile you switch out who you're forcing to carry your armor. And it's a humiliating thing, and you've got your own life, you've got your own business, and then someone just grabs you, hey, you, you have to do what I say, you have to carry my equipment for me a mile. So you have to help the enemy. That's a, that's a hard thing. And uh, so what's their choice? They, they thought their choice was either we fight, we fight him, we, 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 we attack this soldier for this injustice he's doing to us, or, um, you know, we just are constantly victims. And, and it's at any time, he's just going to make me carry a mile, and that's just kind of what happened to me today. And he's saying, you could, you could flip the script in this situation. You, you could be so... So, so such a servant, you'd be like, oh, did you need some help? I'd love to help you. In fact, hey, you know, after one mile expires and he can no longer force you, like, hey, I'm, not, I'm still got some energy. I could help you. Yeah, you want, you want some more help? I'll help you carry it a second mile. Now, now you're not a victim. Uh, you, you chose it. You're being a servant. You're so generous. You're so helpful. You're so giving of your time and your energy. 
uh, that you change the whole relational dynamic. The whole interaction you're going to have with that soldier is going to be different. If you're just, oh yeah, I'll help you out. <laughs> you know, He's giving us this other way. It's hard to oppress someone who's so eager to serve. Jesus, in verse 27, says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, um, and there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament. Uh, you see in some of the Psalms in which there are prayers against our enemies. There's a lot of prayers God, destroy the enemy. God, call down your hellfire to, to burn up our enemies. Lord, do the evil thing to them, what they have done to me. There's a lot of prayers for divine vengeance against enemies. And Jesus is taking us to a new level here. He's saying, pray for your enemies, for their blessing. And in Luke 6.28, this is Luke's version of the same teaching. He adds one more phrase, which is, bless those who curse you. Okay? Uh, it's not just talking about, you know, some kind of um, spiritualist curse. It's like thinking about someone who's like cussing at you. Uh, think about somebody who, you, you know, they, they have a disagreement with you on the freeway. Okay? And, and they flip you off. What do you do back? All right? I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you flip them off back, okay? Um, but, uh, but imagine, what, what, what is our response? If somebody slanders you at work, they, they, they blame you for something, what is our response? And Jesus is saying, bless them. They flip you off, wave, wave to have a good day. <laughs> you know, you're, we're going to do something, uh, and not just in mockery, in actual sincerity. Someone uh, speaks badly about us, at work, you, you say something good about them in response. It is so hard. It is so different from everything we know, and yet it is the way of Jesus. This is not a small passage. This is not a small thing in the thinking and the life and the teaching of Jesus. This is a huge thing. This is the way of Jesus to fight our instinct to go to war and to find a different way to respond. This was a huge thing for uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's a huge guiding passage for him in uh, leading a struggle against injustice. And he uh, preached a, a famous sermon in 1957 on love your enemies. Um, and essentially he asked the question, why? Why would Jesus have us love our enemies, and I actually want to read to you an extended excerpt, but, but I'm going to uh, share with you just three, three points he says. Basically, three reasons why he says Jesus taught us to love our enemies. The first one is hate begets hate. Secondly, hate hurts the hater. And third, love can transform. Let me give you these, these words Again, this was uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he first preached this in Montgomery, Alabama in, um, uh, in late 1957. Uh, he actually wrote these words from jail. Uh, he was part of the Montgomery bus boycott, a, a nonviolent act of civil disobedience trying to protest segregated busing. And he was thrown in jail. And he started really reflecting in this frustration of having been abused and thrown in jail for 
something that didn't deserve, um, uh, is reflecting on Christ's call to love your enemies. And it, it became a sermon in, in 57, uh, became the basis of his book, Strength to Love, and he preached it again in 63 in his home church. So here's some excerpts. Why should we love our enemies? The first reason, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Two. Another reason why we must love our enemies is that hate scars the soul and distorts the personality. Hate is just as injurious to the person who hates. Like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality and eats away its vital unity. Hate destroys a man's sense of values and his objectivity. A third reason why we should love our enemies is that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of enmity. By its very nature, hate destroys and tears down. And by its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. He said elsewhere that as Christians, we can never believe that the ends uh, that the end justifies the means, because as Christians, we believe that the means contain the seed of the end. I mean, the, the, the way in which we go about our efforts is going to take us to one of two different locations. I was thinking about these words about the power of love to transform an enemy into a friend. And I had this experience in college. I've shared with you before, I was part of this Christian fraternity that was really for formative for me in my college years. And there was this uh, one guy in the group named Darren that had joined the fraternity and, and, and really uh, had a lot of enthusiasm at the beginning and uh, was, just became friends with a lot of the guys and was friendly and funny but something just happened to him over a course of months. And as, as time went by, he became more and more of a bitter person. He became extremely sarcastic. He was always just saying these biting words to people, uh, critical of people, speaking badly. It was just like, it was just this kind of elephant in the room of this guy, Darren, who was just like a total, he become just a total jerk all the time, and people just couldn't stand him, and so they pulled more and more away from him and, and just got worse and worse and worse. And I mean, it really just affected this, this Christian fellowship, this guy who had just really soured on everything. No one knew why he was even there anymore. And, and then we had this advisor who was an older, uh, wiser uh, guy. He called three of us into a room one day, and he said, I want to talk to you about Darren. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know where this, this conversation was going to go. I mean, sometimes you think, oh, do we need a what are we going to do? And, and, and uh, he, had this, he had this idea of a conspiracy to love. He said, we all know everybody's having a hard time with Darren. Okay? He said, I think it's because Darren doesn't feel loved. And I'm thinking, I think it's because Darren's a jerk. <laughs> okay? 
But he's like, I, I think it's because, I think Darren is, is like that because he thinks he's not loved or wanted. So I want to just ask you to do an experiment with me. I want to ask the three of you guys uh, to join me in a conspiracy to love Darren. So it's going to be hard, but I want to ask you to just call him, see how he's doing, invite him places, include him in things. When other people are like, no, no, don't invite Darren, you know, fight them on that and make sure Darren's included. Uh, ask him his thoughts on things. Just, just go out of your way to love him. And it's going to be hard because probably he's going to, you're going to temporarily on the way, as you're trying to love him and be around him more, you're going to become the targets of of his kind of spiteful words, but just fight through that to the other side. Just keep on loving him and let's see what happens. So we actually, we agreed for this. We're like, okay, we kind of covenanted, promised, prayed for him, and then we just set out on this mission. And I, I was absolutely amazed at the miracle. It, it, it worked. It absolutely worked. As we loved him, and it was hard at first, as we loved him more and more invested in him, uh, I remember at some point I was with him and I said, hey, can I pray for you by anything? He just uh, broke down in sobs and described the experience of how unloved and unwelcome he had felt and how he now felt like people were starting, it was turning the corner, people were starting to care about him and just oh, broke. And he came back to life and he became more positive and he, he kind of just showed that early kind of sense of humor that he used to have and, and people started receiving him and they started naturally gravitating towards him. Again, it actually worked. The conspiracy to love transformed someone from an enemy into a friend. Going back to this kind of grander scale of, of things that are happening on larger struggles and larger you know, you know, movements in society, I want to jump back into that Martin Luther King Jr. sermon after he speaks about the power of love to transform an enemy into a friend, he says these words. While abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist. This is the only way to create the beloved community. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. Incredible inspiration for us. As we seek to oppose that which is wrong in our world, that which is wrong done to us, to think, my goal is not to destroy my enemy. My goal is to win them over into a friend. And because of that, my method is not destruction. 
My method is love and generosity and humble servant hood, even to someone who would be unkind and unfair to me. Now, Jesus didn't just preach this. One of the reasons I just love this about Jesus is that he didn't just preach it. Jesus lived it. Jesus was the victim of a crime, you could say, in one way of thinking about it. The cross, we know as Christians that Jesus as the Son of God chose that. And yet looking at it from a human perspective, he was murdered. He was given a sham trial. He was beaten and abused unjustly. It was a lynching. It was an assassination of a leader. It was a terrible, terrible injustice. One thing that amazes us is that Jesus chose it, was willing to do it as a way to love and to serve. In the midst of it, in the midst of it, he loved his enemies, the people who were doing those horrible things to him. He prays for. We see some of the last words spoken by Jesus before his death in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing as they were dividing up his clothes by casting lots. The people who nailed him to the cross mocked him with a crown of thorns were gambling for the possessions they had stolen, the clothes they had ripped off of him. They were gambling over who gets to steal the clothes off his back. And he looks at them, and he does not pray for their condemnation. He does not pray for their destruction. He does not nurse fantasies of punishing them in hell. He prays, oh God, oh Father, forgive them. Forgive them. It's not just the Roman soldiers that he shared this enemy love with. We also read in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the enemies, while we were the transgressors, while we were the unjust adversaries, while we were the sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us in this that he died for us. That he might win his enemies to be his friends. And by his love and by his grace, he's called us out of being enemies to God to being loved, adopted children bought at great cost. I love Jesus for this. I hope you do too. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you are such a God. Oh, we thank you. Lord, your love transforms us. It transforms the world. Oh God, we praise you. We praise you for your love. We pray that it would work in us, soften us, that we might just be a little more like you in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. 
invite you to stand and receive the, the benediction. If you'd like, you can put your arms out. It's just a way that we are receiving blessing from God. May it be true of us. May they know we are Christians by his love. I send you out into the world not as enemies of God, but as people loved by God, won by Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and made into friends. May you know the love of God deep down to the marrow of your bones. May you know that you're loved and forgiven. May you love and forgive others. And may you be ambassadors of reconciliation in the world. Go in peace.